I'm Anna Lee Ashford. Hi, this is Queen Leslie. I'm Robin DeJesus. Queen Leslie Margarita. Hi, I'm Eden Espinosa. I'm Anthony Rapp. Hi, I'm Laura Osnes. I'm Katie Finnerin. Hi, I'm Tanya Pinkins. I'm Karen Olivo, and you are listening to the Theater People Podcast. Welcome to the Theater People Podcast. I'm Patrick Hines. If the expression absence makes the heart grow fonder ever applied to a Broadway actor of my generation, it would certainly be to today's guest, Karen Olivo. The sentiment was solidified for me in June when I saw her in the Encores production of Tick, Tick, Boom at New York City Center. It was her first appearance on stage in New York since announcing that she'd be taking a step back from acting and moving to Madison, Wisconsin to pursue other interests and passions. I knew very little of Tick, Tick, Boom when I went to see it, so I was completely unprepared when Karen, as one of the many characters she plays, took center stage to sing the ballad anthem, Come to Your Senses. As the song built to its climax, I began to completely lose my mind, and I knew I was experiencing one of those extremely rare theater moments that would stay with me forever. crazy about Karen Olivo. I have been from the first time I saw her on stage back in 2004 in the musical Brooklyn. I, of course, loved her in In the Heights and in her Tony-winning performance as Anita in the 2009 revival of West Side Story. But more than any of that, I'm fascinated and in awe of her decision to leave the business in New York City at the absolute height of her career. I'm so grateful to have gotten a chance to talk to her about it. Here's our conversation. The elevated train by my window doesn't phase me anymore. Rattling screams don't disrupt my dreams It's a lullaby in its way The elevated train drives everyone insane But I don't mind, oh no When I bring bad boys, they can't tolerate the noise And that's okay, cause I never let them stay Welcome to the Theater People Podcast. What's up? It is so... Uh, what is up is how thrilling it is to have you here. You're very kind. I gotta give a shout out to Scott Allen, who uh, who brought us together. Totally. Thank you, Scott. <laughs> What's up, Scott? <laughs> um, should we just jump in? Come on, let's do it. Okay, let's do it. So, I wanted to start, if it's a... Well, first I wanted to say welcome back to New York. Why, thank you. Welcome back. When was the last time you were here? Ooh, let's see. Um, I want to say maybe in December. Okay. Well, welcome back. Well, thank you. And you're here to do Tick, Tick, Boom at City Center. I am. But I wanted to start by talking about the decision you made just over a year ago while working on the original off-Broadway production of Murder Ballad to leave New York and to step away from acting. Yeah. What was... What? What? Why? <laughs> <laughs> Let me oh say first, I have such immense respect for that the decision that you made, um, and I'm so fascinated by it. So... Talk, girl. Okay, so, um, yeah, Murder, Bar- Murder Ballad was awesome, but it was really hard. And, um, and Anybody who hasn't seen it, I mean, that show is serious. Yeah, the way that it was choreographed and the way that, I mean, we were just in this tiny little bar on top of each other, no playable space. Um, and it was really emotional, and it was difficult for me to sing, maybe not for other people, but for me it was difficult. Um and I had just gone through a lot of personal stuff. I had just split up with my second husband of like seven years or something like that. And uh, I was getting to the point where the work was coming and 
I knew what I would be doing three years out if I wanted to. But every single night I was like, wow, I feel empty. This feels horrible. <laughs> and I mean, it's my, it was my second husband too. So that's saying a lot, you know. Um, I just couldn't get a relationship to work. And I, I mean, one year, I think, like three years before that, I had forgotten my mother's birthday. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, it was just like, it was getting silly. Um, so I was trying to weigh it out in my head. Like, is this all worth it? You know, uh, I, I love to work and I will always be an actor and a singer and I'll always be in the arts in some respect, but I think that there's a big part of my life that I'm neglecting. And it just so happened at that time, I had met someone um, and reconnected with someone that uh, I fell in love with and we were doing an, a long distance relationship. And I knew I didn't want to come back to New York because I know the grind here. And L.A. was, I don't know if you've been there, but <laughs> that's not my city. Um, it's gorgeous. Yeah. But um, I was really looking for some sort of substance that I couldn't find there. Um, and so it just made sense. You know, the other thing is, I don't, I don't know if you know anything about the TV business, but I had done, um, I'd been there for like two and a half years. And being an artist and not like a commodity in LA is incredibly difficult and it's a, it can be soul crushing and that's pretty much what was happening. I was really tired of walking into rooms with like not talented people who were <laughs> making decisions looking at me going, yeah, if you could just be spicier, that would really help us for the read. Mm-hmm. Could she be like really pissed off here? And I was like, yeah, this is not for me. I'm out. <laughs> it's amazing because you were, you were, you are so successful, you know? And, 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 mm-hmm. and one of the things I was thinking about was that your, maybe it wasn't intentional, but your decision to leave became so like public. Like you wrote something for your... So it was not supposed blog. to be like I read big. this statement for the first time the other day at work and I literally started to cry. I thought, not because it was sad, but because I had such admiration for you. It seemed like such a brave move. So, so how did it becoming such a public thing affect the decision? Well, it just made it a little bit more difficult. I'm actually a pretty shy person for the most part. And, you know, I have like seven close friends um one of them you just had on your podcast (laughs) but um uh so it was kind of difficult I was sort of putting it out there instead of like doing like a mass email um I was just like I know this is the easiest way to do it I'm gonna put it on my blog and like no one reads my blog anyway so (laughs) I was like the my like handful of friends who do read my blog will be like oh okay I get it you know and I didn't think it would be that much of a a shock to anyone. Um, it like rocked the industry. It really didn't, though. Come on, you're I mean, like. Don't you think it was, it, maybe it, maybe it was like deep for you, but they, not every. Like I'm sure there are plenty of people who were like, like, "Who is that?" The actors and the gays were like, "No, no." What was the reaction from your peers? Actually, a lot of them were like, "Good for you." Um, a lot of people were like, "I've been thinking about that for like five years." Um, yeah, I'm sure a lot of girls were like, thank God. <laughs> get out of my way. <laughs> um, you got your Tony, get out. Yeah, seriously. Um, yeah, I don't know. It, life is so short. Mm-hmm. 
And, you know... It I, seems like, to me, it, it sound, when, when I read it, it sounded like, here is an artist taking care of herself. And it, it doesn't seem like it happens a lot. But more, more so taking control, too. Like, I, I felt like at that point, even when I was doing Murder Ballad, I was trying to take care of myself emotionally and physically. But um, as far as taking control of my art, that's, that's really what I was longing for. Uh, because still, I was only able to do the projects that people would bring to me. It's not like anything that I wanted to do was ever being, mm-hmm. you know, done. And um, and the characters that I wanted to play and all of that stuff, the stuff that I wanted to sing, none of that stuff was coming my way. I was just waiting for someone to, to tell me it was okay to make art. That is so interesting. Yeah. You don't think of it as somebody at your level that that is true. Like, if you had decided you were going to do, like, a one-woman show, do you think you could have gotten it off the ground? Um, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I think that some people would have been interested, but I guess I I wasn't really, not only were people, I feel like I need license in some way, but I wasn't ready to do that myself. Mm -hmm. I needed to sort of step away and get a better perspective of what I was doing as an artist and um, get, you know, have room to like make mistakes, you know. Wisconsin is a wonderful place for that because it's a really great arts community, but they're really supportive. So I've been able to do stuff there that I'm, I would never be able to do in New York. I was going to say, like, what? So you step off the plane and you're in <laughs> Madison, Wisconsin. Well, I drove there, first of all. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, like, what, so what do you do? Like, what, what, is your, what, what do you do out there? I mean, I know you teach college, right? Yeah, I just finished my first semester at UW. Congratulations. That was really hard and fun. You must have such an interesting, because you teach musical theater, correct? Yeah, musical theater studies, so it was uh, kind of like a really in-depth coaching class. Mm-hmm. What do you, what kind of advice do you, I mean, somebody who came, was so successful and then decided to step away, do you find that your your teaching is different than what they might have expected your teaching to be? Absolutely. Because what? I cut it straight. I mean, I, at no point did I ever, if you asked any of my students, they would be like, no, she's completely honest, brutally honest. And um, I guess they, I don't know, I think people expect something from people who've, who've gained a little bit of success in this business, and they hold them to a very specific standard. But I've always sort of, uh, I've always sort of gravitated to the people who were themselves despite what people think. And so I, I really tried to get my students to look me in the eye and just be a peer, which is not easy. Right. When they, when they come in, you know, they're already like coming in. the heights in, on their headphones. Right, totally. You know, they, they already come in knowing something about you. So you have to really break them down and be like, nope, I'm not going to let you treat me this way. You and I are going to work together and we're going to have a conversation about what art is. I'm not going to tell you. I'm not going to dictate it to you. We're going to we're going to figure out what your process is, you know. I'm not going to tell you what my process is. It is it, yeah. you know, this is like you. You have to figure it out for yourself. Are you a natural teacher then? I mean, is that something that somebody had to tell you to be that way or you just knew to be that way? Um, well, I've had a, a lot of really good teachers, so maybe I learned by, you know, being taught properly. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know. I think that I think this is the one component about e- being an educator that is is really important. You have to care. You have to care about them more than you have to care about what they see when you teach them. Mm-hmm. It's not about being on stage. It's it's really trying to like flip it around and become them for a second so you can give them the right adjustment. Uh-huh. 
and uh, and to really listening to the way that they understand adjustments as well. Like some people don't take criticism well and some people want to be pushed really hard and some people like to think that they came up with the idea. So it was like it was like psychology 101 for yeah. me too. I was like 22 students and I was like, how do I get in your brain? <laughs> how do I figure out how to make you better? <laughs> do you ever want to say to them like, don't do it? I would tell them all the time. I mean, it, it, and only, only in the sense that if they didn't put forth the effort, I'd be like, this is not for you. If you can't if you can't sing a song in front of me, if you can't learn the lyrics, first of all, mm-hmm. and sing 30, 32 bars in front of me, guess what? It ain't for you. You, you might need to go and study <laughs> something else. What, I mean, is, is um, moving to a place like Madison, Wisconsin, has it been everything you wanted it to be? And like, what else, like non-theater related, do you do there? Uh, I snowboard. Really? Yeah. I you mean, seem so badass to me. <laughs> Nope. <laughs> I also knit and crochet. Does that no, seem badass? Really? I love it. I love it. I love it. I mean, in Wisconsin in the winters, that's pretty much all you can do to stay alive. Uh, but no, I, I, I guess, well, Madison is not really Wisconsin. It's like a very uh, eclectic and uh, artsy and political community in the center of like cornfields mm-hmm. uh, and a very red state. So, uh, I was hoping that it would be sort of, you know, a little gem, and it was. You know, everyone is, you still have, like, the Midwestern mentality, so people are very kind and Uh conscientious, um, as well as having a great opinion Mm -hmm. about things. (laughs) So that was very important to me. Isn't um, a blue city in a red state? Totally Oh, thank God, because I was going to ask you, what is. is it like to live in a red state, girl? Yeah. Well, the the one thing that is a little jarring is that when I got there, I was like, hmm, I don't see anybody who looks like me. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I think I even told my boyfriend at one time, I was like, the next time you see a brown person, please let me know. Because <laughs> it's getting a little scary for me. Oh, my goodness. Well, so you're back for just a couple days. For like a hot second. Uh, and you're here to do, like we said, Tick, Tick, Boom. Yes. What is this your return to the New York stage? Yes. You make it sound <laughs> like... So grand. You really do. <laughs> so the only thing I know about Tick, Tick, Boom is that it's the Jonathan Larson piece mm-hmm. and that you're doing it with Lin-Manuel Miranda, the oh, genius. Yeah. What What made you decide that this was the thing to bring you back? Uh, well, gaining perspective, you sort of... For me, I, I, I like to do things that I feel in my gut and this was a no-brainer. You know, my first Broadway show was Rent. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I have an affinity for Jonathan Larson. And then on top of it, it's like one of my closest friends, Lynn. And the story that I'm, one of the characters that I play, Susan, is someone who, she literally leaves New York City so that she can live like in the suburbs. Oh, wow. To go and teach. Can you tell us about the show? Because I don't know anything about it. Uh, it's, uh, It's about Jonathan, who is a songwriter, uh, who is approaching 30 rapidly and is looking at his career and realizing that the things that he wanted to accomplish artistically have not come to fruition. And it is a little bit of like, you're sort of in his brain the entire time, him like sort of struggling with uh, watching his best friend sort of sell out and take a very corporate route. And then his girlfriend who's, who's begging him to give up the grind of New York City to go and have a dishwasher. You know what I mean? Like. You know, not live in a closet. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's also one of uh, Jonathan Larson's 
first pieces, you know, after Rent um, had all of that success, they went back and they found this. And he used to do this piece as a one-man, like, rock show. He performed it himself? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. And uh, and so then I think it was Victoria Leacock, who was one of the producers, found a book writer, and then they got Stephen Raymond to arrange it, and then they made it into a three, the three-person show that you'll see at City Center. Can we talk about it in the Heights? I guess. If I win the lottery, you'll never see me again. Damn, we only joking. Stay broke, then. Right. Would you agree? Absolutely. You came into it when it was at 37 Arts in the workshop? Yeah, the first workshop. Um, how did you become involved? I heard a demo. I, I think my agency uh, sent me a demo, and they were like, there's this new musical. It sounds like it's good for your voice type. Just listen to the demo, and if you're interested, let us know. And I heard, I want to say I heard the first number, and I heard like a bit of what 96,000 used to be. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to be in that. Wow. But I had the same feeling with Rent, too. The first time I heard Rent, I was like, oh, I don't know how I'm going to get to New York, but I'm going to be in that. Wow. Like, my gut is very strong. My gut is like, go do it. Okay, let's take a quick side note. Did that just happen for you like that with Rent? Absolutely. What happened? My friend Chris Nichols, uh, we were at CCM, and I was not... Cincinnati Conservatory. Of music. Of music. Now who sounds fancy. <laughs> I'm just trying to like, I'm trying to hang with you basically. Um, you guys, Karen Overlow's trying to hang with me. Right. Uh, he, uh, my friend Chris Nichols was like, this is a brand new musical. It's amazing. You should hear it. And I heard like the opening number and he was like, this is the part that you should play. And then what he, year was this? I was, oh God, I'm 500 years old. Um, <laughs> let's see. My, it wasn't my first year at CCM. It was probably my junior year, so, so like 97, 97. Oh, my God. Yeah, it just opened. Um, so, yeah, he let me listen to it, and I was like, oh, I'm going to be in that. And he started laughing at me because you're crazy, Karen. And I was like, yeah, I know, but I'm going to be <laughs> in it. And then that, that Christmas, we got plane tickets on Christmas break, and we slept outside, and we saw it two nights in a row. And I sat in the front row, and I looked at these people on stage. And it was almost all of the originals at that point. Wow. And I was like, yep, yep, that's it. That's that's the show I'm going to be in. And then I want to say less than a year later, yeah, because I got the show in August. I, we, I skipped class. Don't do that, kids. I skipped class. <laughs> this is not her class, you guys. She's Ooh. not kidding. No, not at mine, please. You get an F. Um, we skipped class, and we drove to the first open call that we could find on their calendar, and it was in Toronto. 
I auditioned and then I got cast for the Broadway company. Wow. So I left CCM my junior year. Oh my God. It was meant to be? Yeah, it was. So I f- it's the same thing with In the Heights. I heard the demo and I was like, I don't know how I'm going to get in there, but I'm going to be in that show. And did you have to go through a lot of auditions? I had one audition. Was um, it for Lynn? It, this is the worst part ever. This tells you everything about me. So they put it, it's like a dance, like mover dancer thing. And uh, I don't think we had to sing. We had to dance. We had to like, I think the choreographer wanted to make sure we could move. And it was a room full of us, like a bunch of Latin girls and like a handful of like guys. Lynn was in the room and they paired me up with Lynn. And I thought he was just like some like kid with two left feet. And I was like, <laughs> And I'm thinking to myself, like, I wasn't being, like, rude, but I was like, okay, like, get it together, basically. <laughs> Did you say anything to him? No, I was just, please, I'm, I was being, like, kind. I'm not, yeah. like, a jerk in the audition room, but I was like, I, I was having a hard enough time with the dancing myself, so I was like, okay, this guy cannot mess me up. And they gave us, like, a little improv, and they're like, okay, so you enter, like, this club, and everyone wants to dance with you, and you're with this guy, and, like, what happens? And so they started playing music, and I, like, left him in the dust. <laughs> And they like they were like whoa 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 stop 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 come back come back come back okay no no you actually like him and I was like oh I like him okay great let's do it again just like the composer lyricist like that. dissing him in his own audition like had no idea no idea well I wanted to talk about working with him on this once you've been cast and it's all going great mm-hmm. so. Your now friend, your castmate, mm-hmm. is also a, like a major like member of the creative team. Yeah. How, how is it to work with somebody as a fellow company member who's also like not just a member of the creative team, but also has like the weight of the show on their shoulders because it was you know his show. Yeah. Well, <laughs> we basically just well all the entire company knew how hard it was going to be for him, and uh, you know I I don't know if you've ever met Lynn, but yeah, you just you fall in love with him. He's just like. He's exactly what you hope he'll be. And so we wanted to support him. So we never really put him in a situation in which he had to to take off the producer hat or the writer hat while, you know, like we weren't like those like catty actors. Right. <laughs> he would always just like, if things started to like go south and like the actors wanted to like chat about what was going on, he would be like, all right, guys, bye. <laughs> I'd be like, all right, get out of here. You can't talk about this. But um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of amazing in the sense that you have the touchstone in front of you. Like, I, every night I would walk out on the stage and I would, I never felt like the show was not going to go where it should go because he's the genesis of it. And we got to work with him every single night. And if you were ever lost or you, something was unclear, look at Lynn and Lynn shows you where to go. So um, it was, was it collaborative? In a lot of senses it was. I mean, um, I think that once the workshop happened, Lynn and Kiara and Tommy Kale started looking at the people that they had amassed and trying to figure out how do these characters speak through the people that we have. And so a lot of the stuff that's Vanessa is really just me at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of, you know, I was a little bit of a... I was Say a, it, girl. I was a little ghetto mess. <laughs> um, and... Um, and far too outspoken when I shouldn't be so a lot of that spunk that you see in Vanessa is just Karen just being like not knowing not knowing her place what a cool time capsule (laughs) like do you I mean you can always go back to that and be like every time I see a production and I see her come out and she's all no 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 I'm like oh my god Karen you're a mess
Ask her out right now. I'll see you later. We can look at that, please. Do something, make you move. Don't freeze. Hey. You owe me a bottle of cold champagne. Are you moving? Just a little credit check, and I'm on that downtown train. Well, your coffee's on the house. Okay. Snobby, ask her out. Somebody asked you, like, what's your favorite moment in the show? And you said that it happens offstage. And it's you talking about following in Priscilla Lopez's, like, footsteps, literally and figure, figuratively. Oh, yeah. Okay, I'm going to tell the story. Yes. It was, like, some sort of scene change. And you guys were offstage, and she, you had to cross with her, like, behind the stage or something. Yes. And every night she would do a yes. little dance that you had to, like, she was, like, would do it in front of you, and then you had to, like, emulate it. Yes. And then you were talking about yes. how, like, that, and then just, like, in life, following in her footsteps because she was, like, a hero of yours. Yeah. Oh, I think that that is either into the dinner scene. Oh, yes, 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 into the dinner scene. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, and it, there's, like, a little uh, a little walkway right behind the bodega, as if that still exists. <laughs> I'm talking about it like it always exists. There's probably production well, somewhere. Yeah, totally. Exactly. Um, but, yeah, I think, you know, I don't know if you know Priscilla, but she's very, Pilo is very, (laughs) she's just cool, you know? And she's constantly in the moment, and she's constantly trying to make things fun. And um, for a lot of us, like, first day of rehearsal, Priscilla Lopez is, like, sitting in the chair next to you, and you're like, you gag, you know? I, I mean, I played Morales in the chorus line, and I was, you know, the whole time I was just like, I kept looking at her like, this is not real. I'm not going to be working with her. There's, it, this is not, I'm dreaming right now. So, yeah, that kind of, that, the other thing is when you're young and you're just sort of, your career is taking off and you're in a room with people like that and you're working with them and they are your peers, you realize, oh, oh, right, this is what it's supposed to feel like. I'm on the right track and I just have to keep going. So a lot of that is following in her footsteps every night is like, yeah, be a good person, work really hard and, you know, and respect what you do. And, you know, you get to be in the room with Priscilla Lopez. And so you were the impetus for the reunion concert in 2013. Bad ideas. No. (laughs) (laughs) Was Was that something you enjoyed doing? I loved it. Because you guys did the, you did it at a at a concert hall in Washington Heights. We totally did, yeah. How was that? Uh, you know, I think that it was an important time for most of us. We're all still very close, and it was it was an important time for us. But it was actually more important for the fans because after in the Heights closed, I think that's when people started to become really rabid fans. Mm-hmm. Because you know, once it's gone and you yeah. can't go see it, you're yeah. like, wait a minute, wait a minute, I got, where's my soundtrack? Mm-hmm. So those people who had sort of come late to the game uh, and, and really needed to have a connection to us finally got that. And we, we started to understand the appreciation that they had for the work that we had done. And it solidified us even more. And it was, I mean, I can't even, I, I've never felt like a star before. But when we came out on that stage, like, the sound was deafening. And it was all of us together, so it was a wonderful moment, so you didn't have to, like, be egotistical. It was not for you. Mm-hmm. It was for us and what we built. And that's, I mean, I can't even, really no words would express what that felt like. 
unbelievable. I was thinking about what a cool year that was, the year that In the Heights came out for new musicals, because that was oh, the yeah. same year as Passing Strange. Totally. Did you get a chance to see that? I did. Oh my god. I didn't know anything about that show, and I went to see it, and I was so blown away by it. It was so brilliant. Yeah. And I'm, it was so cool that the two shows were like battling it out for Best Musical that year, mm -hmm. because it brought such attention to both of them, mm -hmm. and like the new diversity on Broadway. Yeah. It was so cool. Absolutely. All right, I guess, can we move on to West Side Story? Sure. I like the island Manhattan. I know you go. Smoke on your pipe and put that in here. Yeah. I like to be in America. Walk okay, by me in America. Everything free in America. For a small fee in America. People in each room. Automobile in America. Chromium steel in America. Wires for wheel in America. Very big deal in America. First of all, how did West Side Story come to you? Oh my God, this is the worst story ever. <laughs> okay, so I'm in the, in the Heights. We've just won the Tony. It's like the best time of our lives. Every night is like not going to work. It's like hanging out with your friends. And they're having auditions for Westside. And someone had asked me to audition, and I said, absolutely not. I don't dance. Uh -huh. <laughs> uh, didn't you win a big award for this? I know. I don't even know how that happened. The Fred and Adele Astaire I Award know. for Best dancer, Female Dancer on Broadway. I know. You know what it is? I'm a really good actor. I act like I dance really well. <laughs> and I give, like, facial expressions, and I'm, like, totally in it, so no one looks at my feet. <laughs> And they also, they're smart. They put me with the best partners possible. Except I'm, for you're in the Heights audition. Ooh. <laughs> but I think that they were doing well by me. Yeah. They're like, we'll put her with Lynn. <laughs> anyway. Um, so they had been asking me to audition, and I said no. And I had a girlfriend who had just auditioned who was actually in the Heights. And she was like, the dance was so hard. Like, I even fell. And I was like, oh, no, I am so not doing that. Oh, my God. I'm very happy where I am. And I didn't, in in my world, playing Anita was too big for me. And so I said no, and then they, they were like, I think that they were like a, two weeks away from starting rehearsals. They still hadn't found their Anita. And are the same producers for Westside were the producers for In the Heights. And, and Lynn was writing the Spanish language. And, yeah, exactly. And so I think that they might have had a conversation about, okay, we really need to see Karen because we really haven't found our person. And... Um, my uh, my husband at the time was like, just do it. Like, why are you so scared? And I was like, I'm totally scared. Like, I'm going to totally fall on my face in there. And so I went in, and they had a huge call. They had called back a lot of other girls, most of the girls that actually ended up being in the production. And I auditioned, and uh, they said, can you come back and sing for Arthur? And I was like, sure. Arthur Lawrence, you guys. Yeah. You know, Arthur. Um, and that was it, basically. Lynn was in my audition. Wow. And that must have felt good. It was good because, I, you know, I was scared of Arthur, and I was scared of the whole prospect of... I'm, really, I'm a good supporting character, but Anita, even though she's sort of billed as a supporting character, a lot of people go to West Side Story to hear mm -hmm. someone sing Maria and to see what Anita does. It's true. It's really sad because the whole piece in itself is like, you know... It's outstanding, but that's like what people sort of go for. And I knew that going in, so I was like, I don't know if I want that pressure. 
Um, but Lynn, I think, Lynn tells me that once I was in the audition, he actually leaned over to the producer and he was like, oh, man. <laughs> like, she did well. <laughs> like, oh, man. We're going to lose her. <laughs> man. That's a great story. Yeah, Lynn knew before I did, actually. And we had to do the show together that night. And I thought that he was weird, but I thought it was just because, like, it was weird that he had... They decided that day? That I think it was that day or the day after. So he they had, didn't put you through, like, a sick audition process? It no, really, like, it was very months. quick. I had... I think I, I auditioned, like, somewhere on a Wednesday. I found out on a Friday, maybe. And I was gone on Sunday. I started... West Side Story that next Monday. Oh, my God. Were, were you excited? Were you excited and scared? Um, excited and scared. scared. <laughs> um, yes. Uh, but I was a little bit more, It was. I was shell-shocked. I was, you know, talk about ripping the Band-Aid off. Like, it happened so quick that I couldn't really process leaving in the Heights and starting something that I was petrified to do. Now, I know, you know, I've read you talk about Arthur Lawrence as a director, and I know that, you know, he does have a reputation for being really difficult. And yes. I know you have said that you did not experience that. Uh, yes, and no. I read you used the word blunt, that, you know, there's yes. not a lot of time, and that he's a blunt director. And yes. I'm wondering if you feel comfortable giving an example of, of his blunt direction. Um, you know, I think, I think that he was just... Uh, <laughs> this is only my take on him. Yeah. You know, everyone's got their own take. Uh, I think that my personal opinion is that once he sort of lost the love of his life, uh, it was kind of a waiting game, and he waited a really long time on this earth Mm -hmm. before he could, I guess, be reunited. And I think he was a very passionate person, and I think he was uh, a very sensitive person. But being in the business, this business specifically, for so long... Uh, can do crazy things to you. And I think that the walls that he had built had become uh, a bit of a cage for him. Um, when I say blunt, I mean, he, I mean, it's hard to say. He wants you to be better, but he doesn't want to have to coddle you to get you there because time is, you know, precious. And... Um, and he's learned, he had learned a lot of lessons. So it was kind of like, okay, don't make the, he would never say dumb, but don't make the weak choice. You're being weak right now, you know? Mm-hmm. You have to do this. Like, do this. Why are you not doing this? And for a lot of people, because of who he was, we expected something very specific. We expected the legend to come in and sort of illuminate us. And there was not... Uh, for some of us, I mean, at first he took me under his wing, and he was, I think because he knew, he knew I was petrified, and if I was not built up, I would crumble mm-hmm. under the pressure. Um, but for some people who were a little overly confident or who were who didn't realize the weight of what they were doing, he was sometimes brutal. Um, that's the only way that I can really express it. You had mentioned earlier that, that you as an educator, you know, you have to figure out how people work, whether yeah. they want to be pushed or whether they, you need to be... T- how are you? I mean, how are you with him? Did you want him to push you or were you... Were, did you need him to be a little more kid, kids glovey with you? Well, I was getting a lot of... Um, the, the rest of the creative team was not as kind as he was to me. Um, so I needed him to sort of be in my corner because if he wasn't, I was going to pack up my stuff and leave. Because they thought you weren't delivering? Because they didn't think that I deserved to be there, I think. 
that's my that's my assumption. The way that I was treated was kind of like, you know, you're really lucky, right? Did you put that Tony Award on a necklace? And no, <laughs> that's not my style. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it, it, there was, you know, look, it's a dancer's role, and I am a mover at best. And it was a big stretch for Arthur to go with an actor who sings and can move than like a full-on dancer. And so a lot of choreography was compromised because they chose me. And I think that was hard for a lot of people. And um, I, you know, I, they did their best to like get me up to speed, but I think there was always a sort of, I don't know, if only we had someone who could really dance. And the worst part about it is like all of my shark girls are the sickest dancers I've ever seen in my entire life. Like mm-hmm. any one of them would have killed Jerome Robbins' <laughs> choreography, like or Peter Gennaro's choreography, I should say, like annihilated it. And one was like my understudy, and just all of them were like the sickest things. So it was hard for me. Like it's, it's. It's hard to see America danced and like you see the girl who's in the spotlight and she's her lines are not cute mm-hmm. and she's barely getting through it. So I think that there was a lot of that. I knew that it was not it was not lost on me. It seemed like there was also a lot of pressure on you to promote the show. Like it seemed like you worked really hard at the theater, but also outside of the theater. I think we did America on TV about eight times. And did that take a toll? Yeah, I was done. Yeah. I mean, it was great for me because it prepared me for me being on TV later on in my career. Um, But it was, I mean, that show is a beast. So to have to, like, fly to L.A. and do Dancing with the Stars and then fly right back and jump back into your show, it's not cute. Oh, my God. I didn't know you did that. Oh, yeah. Same day. uh, Or, like, overnight. Yeah, it was an overnight or something like that. I mean, it was just crazy. It was crazy what we had to do. And the other thing is, it wasn't like I was... I wasn't mad the entire time. I realized how lucky I was to be the face of the show. Everyone wants to see America performed. And so I, I just sort of figured out a way to, like, hap- have it happen every night. Um, I, would, I mean, I really wouldn't change it, but my, my body took a toll, for sure. When you won the Tony Award, was that, like, did you feel... I'm not asking you if you felt like you like you deserved the Tony more than other people, but did you feel like you had really put in the work and that it felt like a like a, like it felt right? Um, no. I think I'll always feel like a fraud because my standards are very high, and even at the Tony Awards, I just I was so worried about falling during the performance because mm-hmm. the Radio City stage is like ice. That that's really all I could wrap my brain around. I couldn't really allow the idea of the nomination and the possible award to be a, a factor in my life because I would have crumbled under the pressure. I'm, I'm really not strong enough for that. So once I had gotten past, we'd, we'd done our performance, and I was like, I remember coming back to my seat, and I looked at my, my husband at the time, and I was like, I didn't fall. He was like, okay, they're, they're announcing your award. <laughs> I was like, yeah, but I didn't fall. Like, that's, that for me was everything. I just didn't want to... I. I didn't want to make a fool out of myself. And I hadn't really processed, you know, what that would be like. And in those, like, last couple of seconds right before they said my name, I was like, could I really win this? Nah. And then they called my name, and I was like, just dumbass. Oh, my. <laughs> just unprepared dumbass. <laughs> you look gorgeous, girl. Well, thanks. You're it welcome. takes a team. <laughs> the award goes to Karen Olivo. West Side Story. 
I'm completely unprepared for this. Uh, I have to say, thank you, Arthur, for believing in me and giving me confidence when I never had confidence. Um, the amazing cast, Josefina's Catalione, you make it so easy to be Anita. And George Ackram, thank you. Thank you for carrying me around the stage night after night. I, I just want to dedicate this to everyone who has a dream. And uh, a lot of people said I couldn't do this. And I think that if you stick with it and you surround yourself with people who love you, you can do anything. the show because you broke your foot. Yeah. What had happened? Uh, I had what's called a Jones fracture. It's a dancer's sort of fracture where the the ligament or the tendon that wraps underneath your foot and goes up your ankle gets so tight that it snaps the bone underneath it. And it yeah. happened on stage. Yeah. I'm a I'm really a dumbass. No. Can I say ass on? Oh, honey. You oh, okay. can say anything you want. Fuck off. Fuck. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. We're leaving that in. We're leaving it in. Oops. Um yeah, I was uh yeah, I I was It's such a like it was such a dramatic story. I don't want to tell it, but something like you were exiting or something. Yeah, I was at the taunt. Uh, I'd just been raped by the boys <laughs> and I was like, you tell him Maria's dead, she shot herself. And then I like I used to do this thing where I would try to get out of you know, docks as fast as I could. So I would like swing the door open just enough for my body to fit through and then I would bolt. And just as the door was coming closed, it clipped the back of my foot and it I was already in mid-stride. So it knocked me off my center and I went to go put my foot down and my foot was not level. It was actually turned to the side. So my foot folded underneath me and it snapped. <gasps> and you like crawled off the stage. I like military like as if chicken wire was hung above my head on my belly crawled how off far stage. were you from the wing i was in the middle of the stage <laughs> <laughs> so just like belly crawl and the worst part is there's you know i don't know if you remember the show but mm-hmm. like it was just a doorway that made docks so you could see all the way back to the scrim so once i fell behind the door i was in full view of everyone and the all of the jets that were on stage had to pretend as if there was a wall, but they could see me. So at one point, as I'm, like, crawling, it, it was horrible. The girl who played anybody's, like, put her little hand out, like, to the side, like, I wish I could help you, but there's a wall here. So that's the protocol. <laughs> they cannot break character. They have to let you be in agony on the stage. Yeah, they watched me in agony crawl off. Well, I tried to get up twice, and then I'd, my foot wouldn't work. And I, of course, in the middle of it, I was just like, why is my foot not working? Just get off the stage, Karen. And so the only way I could get off was to crawl, so I crawled. And then did you finish the show? Well, that was the end of my show. I didn't do a curtain call. Um, I laid in the wing with my foot above my head, and, um, and I was like, if I, can, if I can stand, I can do the curtain call. But when I touched my foot to get the shoe off, it was if someone was like, stabbing me in the gut so I was like oh I was like I think something's wrong and so I was like I'm not gonna I can't do the curtain call just get me somewhere and get me ice and then I went immediately to the to the uh, to the doctor's office and they were like yeah you snapped it it's broken and you tried to come back. I tried, but it's a great story of like it's your not cast great. coming in for. Well, it's a really like loving <laughs> theater community story of like your cast coming in for like a whole week of rehearsal. Oh my god, they worked so hard trying to get me back in. 
But the problem is, is like, you know, dancers, they train their entire lives. So their body knows what it's supposed to do when injured. And they know how to like manage pain. And they also know like your the muscles have a memory. I didn't have any of that because I was learning as I was going. So once the foot was broken and I couldn't use it, everything sort of atrophied and everything sort of solidified. And I didn't have the muscle memory to get me up to speed. And I was barely getting through shows at the time. I w- it would it would take it would took a team of people to like get my body in shape so I could do it nightly. And after that, they were like, "All right, we'll come in. We'll re choreograph it." Oh my God, they worked so hard. Um, our assistant choreographer, Lori Werner, was like, "Who's like the best?" Pulled people in. We had countless countless rehearsals, and we would do sort of like a progress report at the end. And my foot was getting, my foot would just be like, it looked like I had a monster foot. It was just unbelievably bad. And I didn't want to come back if I couldn't do all of my shows, mm-hmm. which at the time was just seven. My understudy did one. And, um, and it was going to be like where I would eke back in at three. And I was like, mm, that's not the show that I want to do. Mm-hmm. You know, people come to see the show and they want to see the Tony Award winning, you know, Anita. I have to be there. And I know me, I would have pushed and pushed and pushed to try and do it and eventually hurt myself again. So it was a... It would have been a Anita in a wheelchair. It would have been oh, ugly. Just like with a cane. Just like, oh <laughs> I mean, it is no... It is no surprise that it did not take long for you to pack your car and drive to Madison, Wisconsin. <laughs> yeah, there's been lots of uh, obstacles along the way. I mean, part of me was wondering, and maybe this is like some dumb spiritually thing that isn't real, but like... Like, was that a foreshadowing of, like, your body just saying, hey, Karen, you know, I don't want to do this anymore? Well, I don't know. I I, I kind of look at that portion, me breaking my foot, as, like, you know, my career turning a corner and, like, really spending more time with TV and film. Mm -hmm. Because Mm -hmm. that was the only thing that I could do at that point. God bless you for The Good Wife. Oh, shucks. Thanks. God, I loved you on that show. I love, Mike and I both love The Good Wife. Yeah, those people are so awesome. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, So then I really started focusing on that because that was all I could do. That was my only outlet. And it it led to some amazing things. I mean, I, I couldn't be happier. So, I don't know. I guess most people, I was really heartbroken and to the to this day it will always be like a regret of mine that I couldn't go back but um you know other things had to get done so you talk like you're never gonna live in New York again ah uh, no I don't see I uh, know maybe you're, you're putting words in my sorry mouth. darling we'll... no, no 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 um <laughs> I I live in Madison Wisconsin and I'm very happy there and I have a home there and uh, a life there and friends and everything I write for a theater yeah, company I there wanted to and... talk about your writing yeah I you know, something that I would never be able to do here. If I went to somebody and I was like, I wrote something, they'd be like, great. Are you going to perform it? Because if not, we don't want to hear it. <laughs> what tell, uh, tell the people what you write for and how they can find it. Uh, it's, it's a company called Theater Leela, and it was actually started in New York, but now it's moved to Madison, Wisconsin, and it's experimental theater. It's physical-based. We use a lot of viewpoints and um, things like that. So it's a, a, the, my first piece is... Uh, it's in collaboration with a lot of other writers, but it's called The Suitcase Dreams, and it's going to be done at the Overture Center in September. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. What's the website? Uh, I think it's theaterleela.com. L-I-L-A. Fab. Yeah. And there is a chance maybe we might get you back. Well, you know, this is the thing. I, I, and I tell Lynn this all the time, who's constantly like, 
telling me about this. We could just like read your friendship on Twitter. It's my favorite thing. I love it. <laughs> we'll have to rectify that. <laughs> that could get messy. Um, but if the project is right and it fits in the schedule with my home life, then if I feel it in my stomach, then I will come and do it like this, you know. Um, but I don't think that I'm ever going to get back on the treadmill, if that makes sense. Yeah. I don't think that I'm going to keep asking people to let me make art. I think part of the move was to take control of myself as an artist and to, to decide when I get to do things. And so I, I like this control. I think that it suits me, and it's okay that it's not on a wider scale, and I, I won't get awards for it because I'm still making art regardless of where I am. So I'm cool with it. I mean, you are a dream, and from the day that we started thinking about this podcast, we wanted to get people with like who were great actors and great you know directors and everything else, but also had like really important, cool things to say. And you were like number one on our list. Aww. So it is really a dream actualized for us working on this podcast to have you here, Karen Olivo. It has been a pleasure. Yes, I'm like, nice. Thank you for coming. Yes, get uh, it. All right, well, Karen Olivo, we love you. All thank right. you. Thank you. Fellow theater people, I've written a piece for BroadwayWorld.com all about how we were able to score this interview with Karen, why she was a dream guest for us, and a few extras we weren't able to include in the interview. It'll be up on BroadwayWorld.com on Tuesday, so special thanks to Matt Tamanini for that. Today's episode was produced by Mike Jensen and me, Patrick Hines. Special thanks, as always, to BroadwaySpotted.com, Davenport Theatrical, Bradley Bean, Steve Tipton, the staff at Oswald's, and Ellen Marsh. And a special thanks to the composer Scott Allen for helping to set this up. Check out our website where you can find all of our episodes, including our recent conversations with Laura Osnes, Anna Lee Ashford, Leslie Margarita, Anthony Rapp, Eden Espinosa, Andrew Keenan-Bolger, and many more. We're at theaterpeople.com. That's theater with an E-R-P-P-L dot com. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram. We'll be back in two weeks with Kinky Boots and Legally Blonde director-choreographer, the Tony winner, Jerry Mitchell. Until then, tell your friends about us. Let's get the theater community talking. Sabes bien que es lo que quiere No le importa si te hiere Y de su lado te encontrarás Ya tú verás, verás María I talk a lot, I know No, my God, I'm please like, I love it <laughs>